and also just um, wanting to to leave an impact wherever I go. Yeah. Um, not necessarily. I don't look at it as leaving my mark in the world <laughs> as much <laughs> as leaving an impact. Um, not just professionally with my children, mm. um, with just everybody whose lives I touch. Mm. Um, just knowing what for people to know what I'm about and be able to derive some sort of inspiration or motivation from that. Mm. Yeah. Hello, welcome back to Capture the Thoughts. I hope you're finding the show as insightful and inspiring as I am. Today, we're joined by Natsai Mawuni, who is just this rock star chemical expert and innovation consultant. She is one of the people who are breaking ground for African women in STEM and entrepreneurship. Hi, Natsai. Welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you. Hi, Grace. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yay. Okay. So <laughs> you're obviously someone who's very accomplished. And so what has driven you or motivated you to achieve everything that you have achieved? Okay. Pretty so much. <laughs> <laughs> someone who's very accomplished. Yes. Are you not? <laughs> <laughs> I try. I try. So what has driven me? Um, yeah. That's a question that allows for introspection a little bit mm-hmm. um, because I definitely can't separate my achievements and just my journey thus far from just the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I have to put that out there um, and it's something that more and more actually as I see more and do more and become more achieved quotation <laughs> marks <laughs> It's something that I really um, that I really would like to acknowledge and just glorify God for because I realize that you know there's so many different um, circumstances in life that people can find themselves in, mm-hmm. and you know you realize that no matter how intelligent, how hardworking um, you are, you there's only so much or you can only take yourself so far um, and so when I look at myself and I look at other people I don't think there's anything special about me um, I can acknowledge that I have been given certain gifts and talents mm-hmm. and, and skills um, but I definitely think uh, it's grace, it's favour um, but that being said uh, I think I have been quite intentional about going for or going after what I think will not only enhance my personal journey, my professional journey, but also be an inspiration to others. Uh, I'm very big on inspiration. Mm. So I think that's a big motivation for me. I see the feedback that I get. I see how others respond to what I'm doing in my different spaces. And that, that does motivate me. Um, and also just um, wanting to to leave an impact wherever I go. Yeah. Um, not necessarily. I don't look at it as leaving my mark in the world <laughs> as much <laughs> as leaving an impact. Um, not just professionally with my children, mm. um, with just everybody whose lives I touch. Mm. Um, just knowing what for people to know what I'm about. 
and be able to derive some sort of inspirational motivation from that. Mm. Yeah, that is very powerful. Um, we often focus on the here and the now, and we don't think about our legacy, and that is yeah. so important. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, what was it like growing up for you? I mean, tell us a bit about yourself and your background. <laughs> okay. Um, what was it like growing up? Well, first of all, um, so I'm uh, number three in a family of four kids. Uh, we have three girls and one boy. And uh, so I have an older sister, a younger sister, and then I've got an older brother. And uh, my, my dad was an electrical engineer. Um, so that basically found us living in, in Wangi for the first 10 years of my life. Um, I was born in Harare, but literally, I think we moved to Wangi a couple of days after I was born, or something like that. Um, so my early years were spent there, and uh, from just as early as um, nursery school, uh, my teachers and my parents realized I was well, academically gifted. Um, I've also always had an excellent memory. Um, I don't think it's photographic necessarily, <laughs> but I literally can just take in a lot of information. I remember stuff really well. I remember faces. Um, yeah, and even now, just crazy facts about <laughs> people. Um, so at that time, I remember growing up, uh, if we were having get togethers or anything like that, uh, my parents uh, used to love to ask me about you know, world presidents, and I knew literally so many. Wow. Um, and I guess it became a party trick or something. Okay, next time I have trivia um, night, you're on my team. <laughs> I won't know President's count, though. <laughs> um, and also, from, from that stage, uh, I was always first in class. Um, I was a very high achiever, and to be honest, I never felt like uh, it was an effort mm. to actually do it. So even then, you know, from an early age in retrospect, you can see that you know, this was truly just a blessing and a gift um, from God. And I think maybe growing up, so I went to a primary school called Thomas Coulter. Um, and then later on, I moved, when we moved to Beloyo, my dad passed on when I was in grade four. So we moved to Beloyo because that's where my parents had property and it sort of decided they would, you know, go maybe when that chapter was over or retirement, I'm not sure what the plan was. Um, but yeah, I also, I think I, I valued what um, education could do for you at a very early age because my dad, having been an engineer, um, he he also moved up in he moved up in the ranks uh, in his work and at the time of his passing he was the production manager at um, at the Wangi Power Station. So um, I think after that we sort of had a lot of questions just from friends and maybe a little bit of family because. You know, it, it was a very, and still it's a common thing that when the breadwinner dies, mm -hmm. people are sort of expecting uh, you to not be able to go to school. My mom was a housewife, so naturally, um, you know, how is this going to happen? And uh, at that point, we realized, well, through my mom, obviously, sitting down with the family and telling us what was happening, that um, we, had, we had trust funds. Um, that you know they had set up for us when he was, while he was alive, and it just sort of uh, you know, made me realize that, okay, 
my rationale then was, oh, okay, so he went to school and he got this great job and they were able to do all these things, and, you know, mm. for us. And that was, for me, a huge legacy that our parents built for us. Mm. So my mm. dad lived for us as well. Because then um, I think I would be... Um, Mis- it would be I would be misplaced to say I just magically landed where I am today. Uh, education really did open a lot of doors for me. Mm-hmm. Um, even just my tertiary education, not so much in that. Oh, it's, it's like such a powerful uh, skill or qualification, but that um, just having that platform mm-hmm. then does really open doors for you. Um, mm-hmm. But then you have, there's so much more that goes into it than just your educational background. But yeah, so yeah, growing up was, um, I was just generally known as an academic person. Um, I enjoyed doing sciences in high school, but I also enjoyed the arts and being creative quite a bit. Um, I enjoyed English literature a lot. And I was a reader. I was an avid, avid reader. Um, I also grew up in the Catholic Church. And in high school, I went to the Dominican convent, which is a Catholic school in, in Boloyo. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was pretty standard. And uh, I was, I've been blessed and privileged to have a close circle of friends uh, since I was about 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I met some of them at that age, and then I met the other ones in Form 1, and we've been such a great um, sisterhood, basically. We're now literally family. <laughs> no one is going anywhere. And I think we had the same pursuits. We really pushed each other. We motivated each other. Um, I think they've all turned out to be amazing women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely attribute some of my positive influences to them. Um, because when you're navigating life as a teenager, um, yeah, it's I think the company is really important. Yeah, that is so true. <laughs> the company that is really so important. True. So I, I've really been blessed to have them as, as my friends. Some of us are in different places now uh, in terms of where we are location-wise, but it's just been a friendship that's been going strong. And um, yeah, that's also really helped shape the person that I am. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's beautiful. And so how did you like start your relationship with Christ and how has that made an impact on who you are, your sense of self, your identity? Okay. So, as I mentioned earlier, um, I grew up in the Catholic Church. Uh, so my, yeah, from as early as I can remember, definitely church <laughs> was part of the, it was part of everything we did in the home, um, to attend church every Sunday with my mom, went through, um, if you know anything more, like the history of Catholicism, you'll know that there are stages with everything, you attend catechism, you have your baptism, you have your first communion, and what they call confirmation. So obviously I went through um, most of those stages, but not all of them. And what happened in high school was, um, I think I began to question a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, being Catholic, there are a lot of things you have to learn by road. You, know, you learn the, the Lord's Prayer, you learn the Apostles' Creed. So you're, memori- you're memorizing all the time when you're going for classes and naturally you're sort of studying. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that kind of culture. and. 
that made me an avid reader of the Bible. So generally, I loved to read the Bible. Wow. Not necessarily at that time from the perspective of, I really want to <laughs> know this God. But the stories themselves were just interesting. Interesting. They were beautiful for me to read. I didn't understand everything. Obviously, mm-hmm. you could go through a whole chapter of problems and sort of be like, okay, you know, like as a kid, mm-hmm. you're thinking, what is this all about? Yeah. It's like Isaiah and all that. But I just absolutely loved reading the Bible. Um, I remember those small New Testament Bibles and then just the bigger Bible. My mom had this old Bible that got so worn out, but it, for me it was like a, a tradition, you know, like she got other newer Bibles later, but I just loved reading from that one. So I, fast forward to high school, I, I started to question um, a lot of things, but it's because at some stage I joined Scripture Union, okay. and there was a lady, um, she was actually, she's one of my former head girls, her name is Tanil Ting, and the way she used to talk about her relationship with God was just amazing, and I just started to feel like something was missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in high school, we had two separate classes for the Catholics and then for the non-Catholics. So for the non-Catholics, it was an interdenominational thing. And um, I think it was around lower six where I sort of asked to attend <laughs> the non-Catholic Ooh, classes. Rebellious. <laughs> <laughs> it was very interesting and controversial. <laughs> um, and then I sort of stayed. And then at, uh, the school also keeps track of whether you've been confirmed or not. Yeah. And then I sort of started to say, well, I, I'm not sure if I want to be confirmed. And <laughs> that became sort of the running theme. And then, you know, because I was still being raised in a Catholic home, I definitely had to keep yeah. attending and practicing. Um, but then I remember I went to a, a church service and my friend, one of my close friends that I mentioned, um, she she was attending Baptist at the time and there was an altar call for um, people who wanted to give their lives to Christ or people who just felt like, you know, their relationship with God mm-hmm. wasn't quite worthy and just wanted to recommit themselves. Um, and I remember I went up for the altar call and we prayed and I think that's really where my journey began like seeking relationship with God. And then in later years, in my past years, I had more freedom to attend um, because whichever church I wanted to be, <laughs> because I wasn't at home, I, I learned at the Midland State University. So at that time, uh, I, I went to New Life Covenant, which used to meet at Midlands Christian uh, College. And from there, I also met my husband in college. And he also had a Catholic background, but now he had also left um, and he used to attend New Life Covenant as well. So it could have been a push there. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, <laughs> but um, really, I think from there, yeah, that's where I then found my own church in Mulawe eventually, which was then called River of Life. And then later on, it became New Creation. And in latter years, when uh, we got married and then moved to Harare, um, we actually started coming to Kingdom People Church. Mm-hmm. So uh, at some stage, just uh, I think a year or so into attending uh, KP, um, 
I, we started talking about baptism a lot, and I had been baptized in the Catholic Church, but when I read more about it and really understood, um, I really felt like I did need to to be baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, and yeah, so I got baptized in Kingdom People Church, and yeah, it's been a journey of growth <laughs> and learning and revelation since then, and. How it's shaped the kind of person I am today is really that um, I think I've just found myself more mm-hmm. um, in being a follower of Christ in that, you know, the Bible, for instance, not only teaches you the right principles for living, but they're going to permeate every other area of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember some years ago being really struck by something that happened in my work life where I was resigning from my previous job and I was resigning to join a competitor company and when they asked me, you know, sort of what are you doing, like as in where are you going from here, yeah, I said, oh, I'm joining a competitor company and um, I, I'm a technical person. So uh, generally when technical people resign and <laughs> joining the competition, they usually just want you to go on the spot, sure. which is what happened. <laughs> I had to be escorted out by security. Oh, and wow. That. that is dramatic. Yeah. And just in my time there, um, you know, I just thought I was someone who had a good relationship with my colleagues and was just doing my best dream. Um, but I remember hearing a, a certain lady reached out to me and said, you know, um, there was someone who was new at the company. She hadn't been there for long, but I did remember her. And she says that, you know, on the day you left, uh, she said, you know, I think that woman was really like a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I admired her so much. Like she was just, and I was like, where's all that coming from? <laughs> because I didn't really think I was doing anything special. Um, but I think it has helped me um, decide what kind of person I'm going to be mm. in any setting, in any place. And it doesn't have to be about who's watching or who or doing it for anyone. But I'm just grateful that um, I can endeavor or try my best to glorify God in everything that I do. Mm. Because she wasn't necessarily even talking about the work that I was doing. She mm. was talking about my character. Mm. So mm. I really hoped that character-wise, <laughs> there have been a lot of improvements and there will continue to be <laughs> a lot of improvements. And then I think what really resonates with me uh, in terms of a biblical principle and applying it to my work is... Um, just having a spirit of, of excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really shaped how I do things, the kind of opportunities I go for, um, putting my all into it. Uh, you know, there's times when I'm working on the most random thing. Um, so, con- well, not contrary to what people believe, but um, scientists are numbers people. <laughs> Numbers, not in the sense of how finance people do their numbers, but we're numbers people. We're pretty much crunching numbers a lot, a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. more than doing chemical. I mean, I'm a chemical technologist, if I hadn't mentioned, but more or less more than doing chemical equations. You're Mm -hmm. you're doing something to do with numbers, and sometimes I'm just working on the most random thing or just like trying to figure out a problem, calculating something, and... Um, I'm grateful that, you know, after all these years, because I've been practicing, I think, I, I also started my career quite late. 
um, in terms of my age and also my graduation was really delayed. Uh, so I've been working as a clinical technologist for about 12 years now. Mm-hmm. And in that time, um, I mean, 12 years is a while. Uh, I can never get over how I still feel excited, mm-hmm. you know, just to be working on something. Um, and be very just immersed in my work. Mm. Um, and I think that's a privilege and a blessing. So but behind what what's behind that is the fact that um it's not that I want to please someone who's behind some big disc, some some big boss, some board, something. Um I want to I, I want to be the best version of myself. Mm. Um and I want to glorify God through my work. Yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. And so just to backtrack a little, what made you decide that you wanted to pursue this career? Okay. Um, besides the fact that you were academically gifted, was there anything else that made you think, okay, I want to do chemistry, I want to do, be a chemical technologist? Okay, so hmm. <laughs> um, I did always used to say I want to be a scientist when I grow up. I don't know if it was the idea of a lab coat or maybe an idea that was just plotted from, you know, watching TV, I, I don't really know, or it's just I genuinely was fascinated by science from a very young age. So that was constantly my response if someone said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, but obviously the term then gets to, as you, as you grow up and you evolve, you then get to really know like the wide spectrum of career choices. And mm-hmm. I know in high school at some stage it morphed into wanting to actually be a medical doctor. Um, I, I toyed with the idea of architecture a little bit, but yeah, that, that faded pretty quickly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, medical doctor was one of them. I was quite uh, interested in that field and biomedical science as well. So what happened was when I was studying for my A-levels, uh, my older sister had relocated to the UK a few years prior mm-hmm. and we had talked about me going there to study and uh, my mom was very supportive of that dream. So at some stage, um, she she sold a property to to finance my studies because I had uh, applied to a number of places and I had settled on ophthalmology at um, the University of Birmingham and I became fascinated with ophthalmology because um, my dad was short sighted and then my older sister mm-hmm. and then I started wearing spectacles in around about at all level. And when I read about ophthalmology, it sounded like an interesting profession uh, or an interesting branch of medicine. So I thought, no, I'll do that. And I did a lot of research on the different schools, and I really just um, liked what that school represented. And I think they had one of the best schools for ophthalmology at that time. Um, so fast forward to the year before I had to go to varsity, uh, you know, my mom sold the property and then she invested the money in a financial institution here in Zim. <laughs> and six months into it, um, this financial institution went under curatorship. Wow. And she basically lost, um, she lost that money. A long story short, and I could no longer go and study um, in the UK. So what what then happened was the following year I was on an, on an involuntary gap year, 
And I looked around, I applied to National University of Science and Technology to study biochemistry, I think it was. Um, and then I applied to the UZ, um, and I was offered applied, applied chemistry, I think. And then somewhere down the line, I read about the chemical technology degree at the Midland State University, and that, that sort of sounded like something mm. that was more aligned with what I would want to do. Um, so I decided to give it a try. Um, and at that point, I was almost sort of <laughs> doing an in mini mini role because I remember they had set up a choose between um, uh, computer science and um, chemical technology. And in high school, I was one of five girls in our computer science class, and I, I got the actually it, it's a subject that they said we would be dropping as a school because we just weren't doing well. Um, and I actually got the highest grade for, for computer science that the school had wow. recorded. Wow. Um, so I clearly had an aptitude, but you know, I was like, but do I really want to do computer science? I think, you know, science, <laughs> science one in the end, the lab code science, so to speak. So, so yeah, that's how I ended up at the Midland State, uh, studying chemical technology. And, you know, from there, I wouldn't really say I mapped out, like, what kind of a career or what kind of a journey I was going to have with that. Mm -hmm. But what I realized early on, especially when I started my career, I didn't start originally working uh, for the um, profession that I had studied for. Mm -hmm. um, I got a job doing something completely different in, in innovation consultancy. Um, but I remember when I then had the opportunity to move into sort of my field of work, um, a lot of individuals who study for that um, do end up working in quality assurance, they do a lot of lab-aligned uh, uh, stuff, but at the same time, it's, it's a qualification that has broad um, opportunities mm -hmm. if one is willing to actually look into it or decide early on like, how they're going to really structure. So what I discovered just in my early career was that I didn't want to work in a lab for very long. Oh. <laughs> so that's what shaped the rest of my career. Um, it just wasn't, I just wanted to do more. Um, mm. And I was also privileged enough to start in a manufacturing environment. And within manufacturing, there's this huge scope for someone with that background mm. to branch into so many other things. And what I realized early on was that what I loved, what I love is manufacturing. Mm. Um, I love everything to do with uh, manufacturing plants. I love everything to do with just, um, you know, from the concept of developing a product, designing a product um, in the lab or whatever it is, but to actually uh, making it, uh, making something tangible out of a concept, basically, mm -hmm. or an idea. And just the whole um, seeing the different moving parts work together in terms of the actual teams, um, the whole, along the whole supply chain. I think that's what I didn't recognize, that, you know, I like to sort of have an overview of the business in itself and 
yeah, I just wanted to do more in, on the production side. I mean, I just used to feel more excited <laughs> about anything to do with production. So that's sort of how it played out. It was more instinct and knowing what I like um, and what I'd like to get more involved with. Um, because sometimes there is a danger that when you are sort of good at something or good at a lot of things, um, you kind of think, okay, so I should just run with this. Mm. Um, but it's also good to pause and think, what do I want to do? Mm. And how is this speaking to my vision for the future, for the mm. next few years? Yeah. Mm, wow. And can you say that um, God has also been directing your path in that regard? Um, yeah. He's been opening doors for you and that kind of thing. Definitely. <laughs> So I I have this thing. Um, I think a few years ago uh, I was part of uh, a U.S. embassy, not just U.S. embassy, um, but the U.S. State Department program basically um, for women in STEM. It's called Tech Women. Mm-hmm. And I remember during that fellowship, um, there was a, some sort of assessment that we did. It, it's I forgot the name. <laughs> but then it was to kind of figure out like what value was you bring to whether a team or just help you in mapping out your own sort of um, goals or what your focus should be on or just to see am I on the right track and and I remember I had always had this thing where I would discuss it with my colleagues and my friends I think um, in that when I when we would. Uh, do something work-wise, for instance, um, and we're sort of looking at the different elements, uh, like marketing is coming in with their perspective, and there's you guys, the manufacturing or technical guys, and you know, ETC, and maybe I would have some sort of thought or input that doesn't have to necessarily do with my area, like maybe it's marketing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of, sometimes it would be taken on board, sometimes it wouldn't, which was okay. I wasn't the expert. Um, and then I remember then saying to, to the people close to me that I feel like I always have an I told you so moment in business. And it didn't mean literally it would happen, but that it would click in my mind that this is something I might have discussed, maybe even in a different organization, um, and now it's playing out. And I discovered that I had a very futuristic perspective. Mm-hmm. But then I also had a strategic perspective on things. So those two combined, and it's also a skill that I was that I practically honed in on as well, uh, working in this innovation consultancy initially, because we were writing proposals for EU companies that were developing groundbreaking technologies. So that's something that at the time, that was in 2012, and it's not something that would have been commonplace in Zim especially or even in Africa. But it taught me a lot about the business ecosystem. It taught me a lot about the startup ecosystem. And it also gave me exposure to things that were going to happen, you know, 10 to 15 years from where we were at that time. So I think that background and exposure also helped me then map out, um, you know, sort of how things were going to play out in, in our in our setups, in our business environment. And, um, you know, that strategic aspect as well, it always they made me want to delve into um, just looking at how things can come together uh, in a business in which I'm working or in an industry in which I'm working. 
to start doing my own research on the side, you know, to say, okay, so if I was the CEO of this company, what would I be doing? Those are questions I would ask myself. Mm-hmm. So when I discovered that strategic and futuristic element, um, when I look back in retrospect, I really did feel like um, then a lot of things that I've always done, um, you know, there was a reason behind it and that God has always been guiding me. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some opportunities I took up or declined and it didn't make sense to me at the time. Mm-hmm. But when I saw how it would come together for me, even in latter years, um, I always really think, wow, um, God has been in it. Wow. Um, and so now, even now, when things don't really work out for something, uh, I, I always want to really stay focused on the fact that he's in control mm-hmm. and none of it is a surprise to him. Mm. Um, and also that all things really do work together for for our good. Mm. Um, so that when I try to keep that in mind, uh, I think it also keeps me humble. Um, because then if I have any setbacks or I find myself where I don't want to be, I still want to be able to to shine wherever I am mm-hmm. and to to work as unto God. Yeah. yeah. Um, to not really make it about anybody else. If it's a toxic environment, mm-hmm. work as unto God. If it's boring, work yeah. as unto the Lord. If yeah. it's tiring, mm-hmm. um, he's going to give me the strength. You know, mm. because it says if you call upon the Lord, you'll find a new strength. So I really do think it's really all been his guidance, and especially because I made huge strides in my career after only being in it for a very short period of time. Wow. And, you know, literally I would have uh, people, uh, my, my superiors, saying to me that they're so impressed with me and so they'd like to give me the opportunity to do X, Y, Z. Mm-hmm. And that could not have been um, anything apart from from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is so true. Um, we sometimes take for granted His ability to open and close doors, and we we try to force doors open, and it doesn't work. Or we try to close doors that are meant to be open. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's a very important um, perspective to have to realize that He is indeed in control. And so, you know, STEM field, STEM, STEM is a very male-dominated field, they say. And it's, um, I've heard that it's very hard for women to break into it. Has that been your experience? Hmm. Uh, yes and no. <laughs> I don't know if that's accurate, but maybe, maybe for a bit of background, um, in my in my varsity years, when I started studying, uh, we were only four girls in a class of forty. Mm-hmm. So before then, I was at an all girls school, and there were definitely girls there doing really well in STEM. Yeah. So I just thought this is normal, and you know, it's just a matter of you choosing where you want to be. Um, and then when I then landed in that class, I realized, oh, okay. So it's not such a popular choice mm. for for women and, and girls. And um, going through it as well, um, the learning years, I think when I then went on industrial attachment mm. and I had my first sort of experience of the work environment, um, I was at a company in Bulawayo, 
and there was only one other lady in my department. I worked in, in the quality control department. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you often interface with production as well by nature of what the QA department does. Mm-hmm. And she was a chemical engineer. Um, she was actually working there and she had finished her studies. And then everywhere, everywhere else was just uh, male. Mm. So that was like, oh, so this is what it is. And I remember taking a lot of time to adjust, but then you realize that if you don't actually get in there and build a rapport with everybody, it's going to be very difficult for you to do your job, mm-hmm. especially because you actually communicate with uh, factory floor guys all the time, with all the other technical guys all the time, be it the workshop um, mm-hmm. or stores. Everything is con- interconnected, obviously, in business. So you're going to have to, first of all, learn, you know, just the different team dynamics. And then another layer that you add to that is you're going to have to, to learn to instruct people and to lead people. Because normally in a manufacturing setup, for instance, um, the fact that you are working, for instance, in QC or QA means you could be the final authority on something. And yeah, I was an attachment student, but essentially they're also grooming you to, to do it in real life. And you, you are um, given responsibility, you know, to actually run a shift and things like that um, and sort of be the one, because a lot of it is process control, because um, it's going through the lab and then going back to the factory to basically tell the team what they need to do. So... Um, it wasn't, on the surface, it doesn't look like it's hard, but I imagine that it's intimidating. It was intimidating for me. Mm. And I was a very, I'm a naturally introverted person, though a lot of people don't believe that now. But that's part of what happens with your growth mm. in your leadership journey, in your personal leadership, mm. that you are able to come out of, um, you know, you are able to do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So it's also helped me even socially. Mm-hmm. So fast forward from there, um, every job in which I've ever worked, I've been the only female in that department. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked in paint. I worked at Astro Paints. Um, I wasn't necessarily the only female, but I, I was the only female working in the lab. My boss was female, but she worked from live. And there was another lady who worked in production. So essentially, in the lab, it was me, and then again, it's always you're interacting with uh, factory, workshop, everything else is interconnected. And then I moved on to Julak some time later, and there I was just the only female <laughs> in the whole department. And um, that's a case where a lot of um, sort of my career and professional goals started to crystallize and I could sort of see where I was going with it. And when I was there, I became the first uh, female technical manufacturing executive the business I've ever had. And I think the youngest one as well. I was 30 at the time. Mm. And then that's when I thought, okay, I've been in a few places now. So it must mean it is hard mm. to, that wasn't my experience, mm. but I then thought, no, there must be a space for us to bring in other women. And I started to be intentional about that, uh, about sort of having female attachment students mm. on board and 
and that's when I also actively started looking for opportunities for women in STEM, um, either to inspire women in STEM or to grow my own personal and professional skills um, and to have those conversations, you know, because now I was really curious to know what the, why the status quo was the way it was. And I'm raising a daughter. Mm. I have nieces. Um, and uh, I'd like to think young ladies who also look up to me. Um, and also within that, I had always had an inherent desire to minister to them somehow. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know what it would look like. Mm-hmm. And as, as I grew and my vision started to develop, I realized it was actually professional women, but more specifically women in STEM. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like they're now having more of those interactions. Um, I realized that not only in, in Zimbabwe, but in other countries, um, women do say it has been difficult to, to get into those professions. And, you know, there are various reasons. Um, also, just feeling discouraged that maybe there isn't necessarily a, a mentality out there that, you know, girls can do it or women can do it. Um, I haven't really had a lot of those negative experiences or that sense wherever I've been. But I think the challenge for me has been to show a lot of women who are aspiring to get into those fields or who are already in those fields, Mm. um, you know, that they can do it. Mm. Um, And that I have the evidence, you know, I've been the first this or that. and this is also, I, I like to um, talk about where a STEM career has taken me as well. Um, and also to highlight that STEM careers do pay better <laughs> for women um, in a lot of areas. It's not always going to be standard, mm-hmm. but they do pay better. Um, and there's so much scope for opportunity. And I think one of my biggest things and something that I'm um, looking at and talking about a lot this season is uh, grooming women in STEM for uh, leadership positions, for executive positions, mm-hmm. and for positions in policy making where our voice needs to be heard, where we need to sit at the table. Um, yeah, where we need to be, the future is being steered by all the developments taking place in technology, so we have a place in development, we have a place in, um, you know, technopreneurship, techpreneurship, in entrepreneurship, because um, there's hardly going to be an entrepreneurial venture now that doesn't need some sort of tech, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't need an engineer somewhere, that doesn't need, um, you know, somebody who's helping farmers do things better um, and stuff like that. So I think we really we're in a unique position. To, to realize that we shouldn't put ourselves in a box. We should be out there, we should be contributing, mm. um, and that our skill set are what the world needs right now. Mm. They're definitely what I know they're what our country needs mm. um, and what this continent needs as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, I especially like how you mentioned that you like to um, make room for other women um, in that field by deliberately giving them opportunities and I think that's very important because <laughs> there's this tendency to think that the table is too small or <laughs> you know there's this kind of competitive 
stiffness that people can tend to have, especially, um, mm. you know, in that field. So I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, I think just reflecting on that, that's a very good point because I remember also during this Tech Women Fellowship, um, someone spoke about, you know, the danger of being addicted to being the only one. Mm. And it was such a good thing for me to to hear about that statement because I think it does happen sometimes mm-hmm. to to women who find themselves in certain positions. Um, the danger of being addicted to being the only one or the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sometimes you sort of want to hold on to that. Um, but ideally what we should be doing is really sending the elevator back down, you know, mm-hmm. to bring up others. Um, and I think that's that's really important. And I personally, excuse me, I loved seeing that female representation in, when I when I could um, be in a position to advocate for that. And I've actually actively followed the journeys of some of those um, women that I've tried to make room for, mm-hmm. and just seeing where they are and what they're doing um, has been really it's been really fulfilling for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, even just in having uh, that opportunity to sow something into their life just by exchanging a few words or, you know, encouraging them to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been very, it's been very rewarding for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, well, you're a wife, you're a mom, you're a busy woman. And your sister and your daughter, how do you balance like all of these aspects of yourself? And how do you ensure that, you know, this one aspect doesn't become your whole identity? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Oh. So I think, um, I definitely have had seasons of being more stuck or consumed by a certain role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, for instance, when you're a new mom or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just in my journey of self-discovery, um, I've realized that you know, you you can you can be many things, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that what you shouldn't sort of let it limit you is the one, like being one facet of something like, oh, I'm a mom, mm-hmm. or I'm a sister, or I'm a daughter. Um, I think when you really know who you are, um, uh, when, when you know your identity, rather, mm-hmm. um, and for me, it's founded in Christ, that it helps you tap into yourself, and it helps you tap into what people need from you, but also it allows you to be able to tell people or to project to the world or whoever you're dealing with what you need from them. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that in, in everything, in all those interactions um, and in playing all those roles, that I'm still able to bring out who uh, not is, why I'm here, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, I think that balance can only just come from just having an identity. That's the solid place to start. 
and then actual work-life balance. <laughs> because then um, I know a lot of women sort of get stuck in this place where they're pulled in so many directions and they're thinking, you know, but there's work, but there's family, but there's friends. But I think balance is just so important. Um, something I realized, especially in the last five or so years of my life, is that um, if I go a certain period of time, for instance, without spending time with my friends, like meaningful time with my friends, mm-hmm. um, I start to really feel like something is missing or it starts to affect other areas of my life. I'm just sort of not as happy. Or if I haven't spent quality time with my family in a long time, it's just been work, work, work. And you get home and you see each other and it's hi, hi, how's your day? How beautiful you do this, do that. But no actual quality time. Or if it's more specific with my husband, for instance, you start to, to see, uh, or at least you should start to feel that things are not uh, balanced or that something is not happening the way it should be. And that's always the time to exercise your pause mm-hmm. and really think about what do I need right now. Um, or if I'm if I've been doing something work-wise uh, for a while and it hasn't been fulfilling me, I start to feel that as well. So I think what's important, especially, is to pay attention to to your needs mm-hmm. and to also pay attention to. I would hope that. Um, you hear from the Holy Spirit as well mm-hmm. and sort of listen to his promptings, you know, um, because those are all things that just come together to make you a balanced person. So, yeah, I think balance really does um, play a big part in, in when you're not getting so absorbed in one role or um, one part of your identity because essentially there still has to be you, there still has to be the essence of you mm-hmm. in, in all that. Yeah. yeah, that is so true. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we're just about to close, but <laughs> what advice would you give um, to someone who decides to go into STEM, who, who decides to go into innovation? Okay. <laughs> okay, so to someone who desires to go into STEM, and I'm sort of going to lump both of them together and into innovation as well. Um, I know I didn't talk much about the innovation aspect of uh, probably my career path, but I think one big thing that I've realized is you must always be willing to to learn. And the way I mean that is not learn and have a thousand degrees and be this fully, so to speak. But I remember on radio the one time, I don't know if it was really is a, a Nigerian proverb, but they said it was. Um, and the person who said it, he was actually talking about entrepreneurship, I think it was on ZFM, and he said that it is better to know a little about a lot of things mm. than okay. a lot about a few things. Because, and that's been, that's been me in terms of my career in STEM, in terms of my career in innovation. So I'm not... <laughs> Books don't pay because anyone is getting me wrong, or that you must drop out of school or something, or don't pursue that master's or that PhD you want to. That's not my point. It, it actually speaks to the dynamic world we're living in. Um, that you know, if you already have a 
a mind that's open to learning or an attitude to learn, which I do believe a lot of people who are in those STEM fields have, not that anybody else doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you should be able to then be able to craft, first of all, a professional, your professional vision should definitely uh, have its pillars, you know, what you want to do in that space, where you want to do it, why you want to do it, the direction you want to go. But within that, know that um, there's a lot of integration in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. They're not independent of each other. Mm-hmm. So you're going to need to have a very open mind to learn about other fields. Um, I always laugh and say that um, nobody can really fool me mm-hmm. <laughs> on a manufacturing side. I might not 100% know the full, of course I don't know the full spectrum of mechanical engineering or mm-hmm. anything, whatever it is. But I just take time to learn the basic principles, operating principles of how stuff works. Um, everything that's related to what I'm doing at that time. So whether I'm talking to an architect, a construction person, a mechanical engineering person, uh, or some other profession, um, I'm going to know quite a bit in terms of the basics of that. Because that's going to help me in my conversation with them. Mm. And then, at the same time, this has to extend to business. You know, know basic things like how to read a balance sheet. If you can educate yourself even further in finance, um, do that. And it's very easy for someone with a technical background to actually be able to, uh, to, to, get, to get to understand and work out their own budgets, for instance, mm. right? know about the marketing side because you already know the product. You design the products. You, you do all the stuff. So know about it. Um, I mean, IT goes without saying we're living in a digital age. That being said, and then this, the innovation side of it as well, by nature of that side of things, you have to, to be willing. You have to learn. You have to have a mind that explores. You have to read. Um, you have to constantly be knowing what's going on. Um, in technology, where things are going, what's impacting the world, what are the sustainable development goals, mm-hmm. how are these uh, inter- different enterprises going to feed into, um, for instance, uh, clean water. Mm-hmm. There's a lady from Kenya who recently, um, not recently actually, I remember when they got the grant for that project, it was years ago, almost five years ago, but now they're actually making, um, they're using a very innovative method to make gas, if I'm to simplify, oversimplify, make water from from uh, atmospheric gas. Oh, you that's know? interesting. Yeah, and they have a machine to do it and everything, and they're trying to mm-hmm. scale and do this in the rules, but yeah, that's a story for another day. <laughs> so always be willing to learn. Um, always write down your vision. Uh, I believe in that. Um, Bible also speaks about it, write down the vision and make it plain, and then run with it. Um, and always find allies along the way. Mm. Find, even if they're not uh, people that you interact with, but find people who are an example to you mm. or who have traveled the road that you want to travel. Mm. Follow them on social media, on LinkedIn, um, look at what they're doing, look at what they're writing about. Um, yeah, and, and find your tribe as well. Mm. So the actual people that you interact with who share common interests and who, uh, who can help you along your career journey, 
um, and with your networks and everything. You always need a tribe. I can't emphasize this enough because yeah. you need people around you who understand mm-hmm. what you're doing or what you're trying to achieve mm-hmm. or even just encourage you. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I think those are the, those are the main things. And pray a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> pray a lot and, and have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, have fun with what you're doing, and sometimes not enjoying something is an indication that that's not the thing for you. Yeah, that is um, true. Because God puts certain desires in us, mm-hmm. and then He helps us. That's why it says He grants us the, the desires of our heart. Mm-hmm. So have fun with it, and don't be afraid to make mistakes, and don't be afraid to start over. Yeah. Wow. How very wise words. Um, that is so true and I think that like you've just given us step by step <laughs> definitely and I believe that whoever is listening will probably benefit from that and so yes thank you so much for, for your time thank you for talking to me this was fun yeah it was and it took I us present- a while to get to it <laughs> It sure did, but it was yeah. worth it. It was worth the wait. Yeah, I'm a busy step I completely understand. Yeah, yeah. And so, yes, thank you so much. Um, thank you, Grace. Yeah, thank yeah. you. And so, we have reached the end of yet another episode of Capture the Thoughts. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>